Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience, featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan, and I want to welcome you to this August 2nd episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Today we're going to deviate from the normal format and do a little bit of a deep dive into transportation and how that impacts the operations of Landis Cooperative. But before we do that, let's have a quick update on what the markets did this week. I'm going to ask Ashley Smaby, one of our grain marketing advisors, to give us that update. Ashley? Friday afternoon, corn closed about seven cents higher, with September futures ending the week at 399 and a half, and that is down 15 for the week. December closed at 409 and a half, and that's down 15 for the week as well. Soybean futures gained three and a quarter today, and that is down about 32 and a half for the week, with November futures closing at 868 and a half. Now, just a reminder that for both old crop and new crop soybeans, Landis Cooperative is now following the November futures. Now back to you, Tom. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the transportation side of the business. And for that, I'm joined by Jim Engler, one of our merchandisers in the Ames office. Jim spends a lot of his time not only talking to various end users in the state of Iowa and also across the country, but he also talks with people involved in the the, uh, rail and uh, barge markets just to understand how those markets are impacting our ability to get stuff sold into the right places. So Jim, just give us kind of a background on you know, Landis Cooperative, railroads, let's start with those first. What kind of railroads do we sit on? Where can we load shuttles? How many shuttle loaders do we have? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. And when you look at the Landis Cooperative footprint in our in our asset network, it's very diversified. We have simple truck houses to big, fast shuttle loaders. And when we say the term shuttle loader, we're talking about loading uh, 110 cars of one product. And that train is dedicated. It's going from Atlantis Cooperative site directly to an end user. So we have a handful of those across the network. And we also have places that load uh, single uh, rail cars for shipments to some smaller destinations. Um, sure. And so when you start looking, when you zoom out, you start looking uh, at the network there. We sit on uh, seven different rail lines uh, here in Iowa, most of which are class ones. There are some short line railroads, which would be the Iowa Interstate and uh, the Iowa Northern Railroad, which uh, those two typically serve... smaller markets. Now our class one railroads, those are going anywhere from Mexico to California to Arizona to the east into Georgia, Alabama, and those type of places. So the class one railroads are the ones you talk about for loading shuttles. Yes. Yep. Um, so give us a rundown. That's, you know, which railroads are those? So that'd be the Union Pacific Railroad. Um, so that would be your Jefferson, Jordan, Farnhamville, Bradford, and Rake locations. Okay. Uh, then you have the BNSF, which is Templeton and Baird. Pleasant Hill, which is a unique facility for us, it can load both BN shuttles and Norfolk Southern shuttles, which is the NS, which is uh, how you access the southeast market out of Iowa. Sure. And then we also have uh, up on the CN, which is uh, Ida Grove and Yetter. They're on the Canadian National Railroad there. So typically, as we're loading shuttles, let's leave Pleasant Hill for a moment. Sure. We're going to go west or south with those shuttles on the BN or the UP, correct? Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's uh, typically our BNs, you'll see a lot more of that going to Mexico. Okay. And then our 
Union Pacific um, assets, their point, those trains will end up in Arizona, Southern California, and those type of markets. Everybody's heard about the issues we're having in Illinois, Indiana, etc. We talked about a lot of our shuttle loaders pointed towards the west or the south, but if Illinois and Indiana can't or don't have the product to export into that southeast market, what happens then? Does, I mean, do those guys start coming to us? Do they, I mean, does that open up that ability out of Pleasant Hill in particular or other locations where we can start shipping east better or how does yeah, that work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you think about the eastern side of the United States, specifically the southeast portion, there are a lot of chickens down there for broilers, meat chickens, and they eat corn every day whether we're growing a crop in Indiana, Ohio or not. If you're buying corn in Alabama and you're feeding chickens, you have to start drawing a bigger radius if Indiana and Illinois doesn't have corn for where you can buy your corn from. And that's where Pleasant Hill comes into play. Pleasant Hill is one of the few elevators in the state that can access the Norfolk Southern. And the Norfolk Southern would be a traditional eastern railroad that would service Alabama, Georgia, into the Carolinas, and and those type of places. So All those places south of Norfolk. (laughs) Yeah, south of Norfolk, exactly. And, And when you look at... Iowa just kind of as a whole we're not necessarily the closest state that grows corn to production whether it's you know Mexico or Texas or to the southeast into Georgia and those type of places we're not first place to anywhere but we're pretty much second place to everywhere so anywhere there's a problem Iowa is uniquely set up and Landis Cooperative is uniquely set up to service that demand so talk a little bit more about some of those uh, non-class one railroads what do we load there if we're not loading shuttles and we're not loading singles what are we doing at those locations. Sure. So if you talk about the Iowa interstate, the Iowa interstate is a pretty unique railroad. It, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like an interstate across the state of Iowa. It runs almost parallel to Interstate 80 and uh, it goes from Council Bluffs all the way over to actually Peoria, Illinois. That uh, railroad, we can load corn that can stop in Cedar Rapids to feed the big ethanol plants there. We can go beans to the west to Bungie and Council Bluffs. You can go with beans uh, to the east and just simply stop in Des Moines, or you can go all the way over to the river at Peoria as well with both commodities. Okay. So it's a it's definitely a unique unique animal. So what locations for Landis sit on that rail line? So Adair would be um, our main facility there. They can ship 50 cars at a time. We also can load at Earlham and Altoona. And then go up kind of in that northeast. We've got some other non-class one railroads that we deal with. Yeah, so uh, Green Eye was a, a great example. Um, Green Iowa sits on the Iowa Northern Railroad, which is a, a great short line that we have a great relationship with. And that kind of almost follows like Interstate 380 um, up through Waterloo and, and back towards Mason City. Again, a lot of it points towards Cedar Rapids, but uh, you can get down to the Iowa Interstate and then you really open yourself up to kind of a world of possibilities. And that would be our Green Iowa location. There. So that kind of gives us a, an overview of the rail side of uh, the grain business stay with the rail side for now. We also load quite a few soybean meal cars and soy plus out of our Ralston location. So give us just a feel for how that works. Sure. So that's a, that, that's a bit of a different animal as well. We, uh, we actually lease our cars on the Union Pacific Railroad there at Ralston. So those cars, we, we have about I want to say three to four hundred in our fleet that we're we're running across um, across the U.S. These cars move in single car shipments across the U.S. They end up on multiple different rail lines. They start out on the Union Pacific, obviously in Ralston, Iowa, but they can end up on the CSX. They can end up on the the CN. Pretty much any railroad you've heard of, we probably have shipped Soy Plus on it. And an interchange somewhere, Chicago or somewhere. Yeah, typically typically Chicago, Houston, Texas. 
Memphis, Tennessee, those type of places. Okay. And so that kind of talks about our different rail loading capabilities. Um, what benefit does that have to the cooperative member that we sit on so many rail lines and have that availability? Sure. Uh, it's it's market access, right? I mean, the more markets you have access to, the more opportunity you have to create demand for your product. And that's what those of us on the merchandising team here, that's what we're doing every day is creating demand for, for our members' product. And having this network provides us tremendous flexibility. If there is a crop issue somewhere in the United States, you know, we can fill that market. If there is um, a demand issue somewhere, we can maneuver that grain somewhere else so that we still preserve the value of our members' grain. Okay, so let's shift gears just a little bit. And you and I talk about this quite a bit, but obviously we don't have any locations sitting on the Mississippi River where they load barges. How does that mode of transportation help us get a better bid potentially for the farmer, you know, even though we can't load directly onto barges at any of our facilities? Why we don't have an asset on the Mississippi River, river logistics, we study them every day here. A lot of our shuttle loaders have access to the Gulf of Mexico. So if you have an issue getting barges down the river, then you need to bring in rail cars to fill your boats. The boats keep coming. The demand keeps coming from these other countries that we're selling grain to. So especially when we start talking about the CN, the CN has great access to the Gulf. So Ida Grove and Yetter, Iowa, those locations, we can get a rail car of corn or beans from Ida Grove to the Gulf of Mexico and be loaded on a boat in three days. And if you put that same commodity on a barge, it's going to take two to three weeks to sure, float down the river. Sure. And this year, with the amount of moisture we've had and precipitation we've had, not only in Iowa, but Illinois, Indiana, those rivers are running fuller. How, what does that do to barge freight, you know, on a per bushel basis or a per ton basis, wherever you want to look at that? So barge freight and the value of grain at the Gulf are tied hand in hand. How much does it cost you to get it down there and how much does the actual commodity that you're shipping cost? Think of it as shipping and handling when you buy something on Amazon, right? If you buy something on Amazon that's $5.99, but you got to pay $5 to ship it, now it's a $10 item. Those, those things kind of happen at the Gulf. So when the river's high, you have trouble transporting barges down the river because either the river's running too fast or you simply just can't get the barge underneath the spout of grain that you're trying to trying to load it on. So that's where our rail access comes into play. And we've seen that happen several times this year. I'm sure everybody's read about St. Louis and all these different places down the river that has seen flooding. And, and uh, fortunately, we've been able to fill that demand. So Jim, talk to us a little bit about with this ongoing trade issue with China and various retaliatory uh, impacts with tariffs. How does that impact transportation in, in you know, general and maybe more specifics. Yeah, so if you think about the U.S. and you think about the assets and you think about how grain flows either, you know, specifically soybeans, let's talk about with China, how that flows out the PNW or out the Gulf, without this big sound coming from China, this big sucking sound for all the world's beans coming from China, you don't necessarily have a lot of need for that freight and that freight because starts to become cheaper and cheaper. Now, in turn, when we go to talk about Mexico, right, that's just as important and probably almost more important uh, for the Iowa corn grower here um, to make sure that we have access to Mexico. The rail network between the U.S. and Mexico is very efficient. It's a great way to get corn, get Iowa corn down to, uh, to these Mexican consumers. And having open borders for our trains to cross is very important to, to not only land us, but to the membership. Absolutely. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for your time. And, you know, I think that helps us just understand how that uh, demand for grain in the world, really, in other parts of the world than Iowa, really help our members benefit from being able to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Enjoyed being here. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks again.